Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello. Welcome to Film Chat. Today's episode is brought to you from a new room, not our normal room. Uh, Danny and I often agree on the podcast, and we decided that our views are so aligned so often, we're going to be recording from inside an actual echo chamber. What do you think? Echo chamber. It's a joke which is funny once and will be annoying forever, because you have to listen to it like this from now on. On, 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 (laughs) on. Film Chat is a podcast set in a dystopian 23rd century. In the future, people live podcast-filled lives in a domed paradise of hedonistic pleasure and high-quality radio. There's just one catch. Every podcast is cancelled after its 30th episode. Podcaster Danny Logan, 5, uncovers a terrible secret and must go on the run with me, an attractive lady podcaster, to find a legendary sanctuary where podcasts are allowed to thrive for years until they become as venerable and decrepit as WTF with Mark Maron. At least that's what I would be saying if this was an ill-advised pod adaptation of the 1976 science fiction thriller Logan's Run. Instead, it's just a podcast wherein we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, a man I intend to murder when he turns 30 to preserve the sustainability of human society, Danny Moran. <sighs> Shit. Four years left. Sam, what do you get if you mix a gosling with a crow? Some kind of weird bird hybrid creature thing? Or The Nice Guys, the latest buddy movie from Leap of Weapons scribe Shane Black. We'll be reviewing that. We also examine the news of a future collaboration between Paul Thomas Anderson and Daniel Day-Lewis. PTA plus DDL equal BME. Best movie ever. ITS. I think so. And we talk about the announcement that over 120% of Star Wars Rogue One is going to be reshot. <laughs> All of which should leave enough time for me to do my latest impression, Henry Cavill, reading Moby Dick while taking a shit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> I really found my punchline about yeah. him taking a shit funny. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm a child. All of which should leave enough time for my latest impression. Henry Cavill, reading Moby Dick while taking a shit. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is it? Um, um, many years ago, having little or no money in my pocket... <laughs> I feel like, I just feel like if he was taking a shit, what, he'd just read it normally. No, but it's like he's mid-shit. Like how? He's mid-shit. Well, like it's just halfway it's, out of his anus. Yeah, and it's like, it's a big it's shit. Just, right, okay. Yeah. Because, man, that guy's got to eat a lot of protein, right, to keep that body. Oh my God, I don't even man. want to think about kind of poos that guy does. He's just, I don't, the poos that I do would just be nothing compared to whatever comes out of his body. Films, films, films. 
chat listener Jazdeep Barger has written in he says hello film chat have you seen the new trailer for The Founder it looks promising I wonder what you think of it John Lee Hancock directed it he directed Saving Mr. Banks which I really enjoyed also I'm a fan of Michael Keaton he has been in some great films recently like like Birdman and Spotlight I even liked his earlier stuff like Jack Frost and Batman there's been a Keatonissance recently after falling off the leading star radar for a while which is great he seems like a cool dude and has an engrossing screen presence. Since the founder is a biopic, I was wondering if you had thoughts on biopics in general and the appeal for audiences. Do you guys have any favourite biopics? I didn't um, do my film chatly duty, Danny. I didn't watch The Strader, so you have to tell me about it. Well, it's about um, the origins of McDonald's and how it became a huge multinational conglomerate. And Michael Keaton... He plays old McDonald's. No. Starts um, on his farm. As far as I can tell from... No, stop with that joke. No, no type of joke. That's right, I've done it. I've done it. No, no. (laughs) Um, (laughs) As far as I can tell from the trailer, McDonald's was like set up as a sort of wholesome family restaurant and Michael Keaton is a slightly unscrupulous businessman who saw the dollar to be made and franchised it out and there was some big court case settling on who owned it. Oh, okay. So So it's the the social network of um, fast food restaurant franchise movies. which is good because I was a bit worried it was going to be some sort of united passions, hey, about how great McDonald's is and how it brings peace to the world. But it seemed like it was tackling the subject with, you know, slightly more clear-eyed. Yeah. Did it it look good? Was it promising? Do you agree with Chance Deep? Yeah, I like, um, I'm sort of up and down on Keaton. I think he's good in some, he's kind of everyman quality, I guess. I find he chews the inside of his cheeks a lot. Really? I know that's not, really a legitimate criticism of an actor is he on ecstasy i think he's on mdma all the time yeah <laughs> he's gurning i don't know i didn't like him in birdman but i really liked him in spotlight so did, well you didn't like him in Birdman. did you just i mean you didn't like that movie but did you not like him in it yeah i think he's think he would have been better if it was someone else i just don't think he was that good in it i didn't really get the keaton love i, I didn't just, yeah i thought he was pretty good in it he's, it yeah he's kind of fine i don't know I didn't get those, like, this amazing return to form. Yeah. I think like, it's just because they hadn't been in a movie that anyone really noticed for a while. It yeah. Like, oh, Mikey K. But in terms of biopics, I think that's probably my least favorite genre. But good biopics. It's a hard one to do. I really enjoyed Love and Mercy recently. I think, I think the biopics that work tend to be the ones that break the mold, which is to basically reduce the facts of someone's life into a form that seems like um, just your average Hollywood movie. Yeah. Which kind of makes people's lives seem as unremarkable as possible because it's just like a generic film. Uh, whereas the movies that are take a bolder approaches um, have a better chance of capturing something real about the subject and also make more interesting films. And Love and Mercy is, is, is a really good example of that with its sort of like two periods at once approach with um, Paul Day and John Cusack playing Brian Wilson at different stages of his life. And that was a really, really good movie. Enjoyed that one. The one I, uh, the one that springs to mind is Control, um, the Joy Division movie. Right. I think maybe because he's so young, there wasn't that much to cover. 
maybe you can that's a movie you know you can do everything and it doesn't feel like it's skipping through his life because it's so short yeah yeah rather short. than like the greatest hits of um yeah of your lifetime kind of thing. what about yours jazzy what's your what yeah, else jazzy, what biopics jazzy do you like? b get in touch friend of film chat dougal mcqueen writes in he says dear film chat could you do a full rundown of the best casting choices for the bbc's his dark materials so this is a reference to the upcoming TV adaptation of Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy, following on from the rather underwhelming movie they made a few years ago called The Golden Compass. Um, and a lot of us are pretty excited because we love those books and the movie did not do them justice. And we're it's pantyhose. It was total pantyhose. Total pantyhose. And we're hoping that the TV show will make up for it. So Dougal says, my picks would be Rosamund Pike for Mrs. Coulter, Idris Elba for Lord Asriel, Christopher Hivju who plays Tormund Giants Bane in Game of Thrones, for Irek Bernison, and Stellan Skarsgård as the evil bear, Sophia Okonedo as Serafina Peckler, and Viggo Mortensen as Lee Scoresby. Do you think they can afford that? Much love, me. First of all, listener, if you haven't read these books, it's going to be meaningless for you, or seen The Golden Compass, and you just have to deal with it. Just deal with it. But I think that Dougal's picks are pretty cool. They're pretty inspired. Rosamund Pike is perfect for Mrs. Coulter, and I actually... There's a chance that they might get her. I know she's like a movie star and everything, uh, but she's not like so incredibly massive she couldn't be on the BBC, right? Yeah. People um, on the BBC, they got Hiddleston for the night manager, right? They, they did, exactly. Check exactly. enough money at her. Yeah. And, uh, and I think she'd be fantastic. And I, didn't, I couldn't really top her. Idris Elba's quite a good choice for Lord Asriel as a sort of powerful, dangerous man. It would be like Stringer Bell. Yeah. Um, He's very commanding. Lord Asriel. Yeah. I, I think Tom Hiddleston actually might not be a bad Lord Asriel as well. He's also quite commanding, quite posh, and um, looks dangerous. Looks, just a bit, like, looks a bit predatory. So just following on from the Golden Compass's casting of Daniel Craig, anyone who's a Bond. Anyone I who's think, like... And Timothy Paul Dalton was him in, in the stage show. There's a, a oh, national. really? Anyone, if you can play Bond, you can play Asriel. Maybe. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's Roger like, Moore? You need the right... No, maybe not him. <laughs> 85-year-old Roger Moore? Lyra Balakwa. I'm going to the Arctic. Um, Where's I, your friend Roger? I need him <laughs> for something. I also really like the Tormund Giants main pick for the bear, Irek Bernison. He looks like a bear. He's quite bear-like. In the show, he claims to have had sex with a bear. His character. That's right. <laughs> Maybe that's where he's getting it from. Yeah. And he fancies Brienne and she fought a bear. It's all upcoming. It's all full circle. I can yeah. see his logical progression to the idea of Tormund Giants being. That's a good point. Um, Stellan Skarsgård is the evil bear. I don't. I think couldn't that just anyone play that? It's not really that important a character. Yeah, Stellan Skarsgård. He's, he's just, just he's another uh, Scandinavian he's... well-known actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, why not? Uh, and the other two, Sophie Okonedo is Seraphina Pecola, Viggo Mortensen is Lee Scoresby. I thought like Lee Scoresby was actually quite well cast in The Golden Compass as um, who's that Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott, right? Sort of super duper cowboy man. Uh, Viggo Mortensen is also quite good. It's taking. It's like a bit like. I guess um, Sam Elliott is more of a kind of old prospector type cowboy, and Viggo Mortensen is more like the kind of uh, rootin' tootin' shootin' <laughs> kind of cowboy. <laughs> he could do that. Um, but yeah, seems like a good pick. These are all good. I'm struggling to top any of those. Bjork? Who would she play? Serafina yeah. Pekula. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. It's a bit weird. Yeah, it'd be a bit of a lighter role for her, although she does get tortured. But Paul Bettany is Lord Asriel. Oh, uh, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah. he's kind of tall. I, mean, I think he is. should be in stuff. But yeah, yeah, definitely. He needs like good roles because he's currently only in movies as like a sort of purple android. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not saying his career is going badly, but you only see him on screen as a purple android <laughs> with no emotion. <laughs> Have a word of your agent, Paul. Well, he's great at that android, but it would be nice to see him stretch his uh, you know, tanks a little further. Wings. 
yeah. But yeah, get in. This is a good. This is a good pub. You know, this is a good discussion. And 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 Dougal only posted this an hour ago as we record. So, so everyone chip in so we can further this. Yeah, we I'm haven't had come... time to really work on this one, Dougal. So uh, we'll have to come back maybe in future date, maybe next week. I have some proper killer acting, you know, offerings for you. But right now, yours are good. I mean, that's a strong first showing. So it's fucking strong. So I posted something which I would say went viral. Yeah. I was watching... It's bigger than Beyonce's sneeze. Yeah. Bigger than that sneeze. I was watching Minority Report. I was rewatching it, rather, which is a movie I quite enjoy. And then in the final 30 minutes of the movie, just takes a massive nosedive in quality. Uh, if you've seen that movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm assuming you all agree with me. So I was like, what other films, you know, majorly drop the ball in the third act? And it prompted a lot of responses. A lot of people like this discussion. Some of them are excellent choices. Tom Andrews' suggestion of 28 Days Later, I think, is quite good. Sunshine is also another Danny Boyle film, which has third act issues. I mean, that's like a Danny Boyle um, problem that he has. Maybe it's Alex Garland problem. There's a few suggestions here which just constitute movies that are just deeply problematic anyway, but also have bad endings. So, like, The Matrix Reloaded, which Tim Rogers suggests is pretty weird movie throughout, but like has some fantastic sequences at the beginning and in the middle. And then, uh, and then do, the do, end doesn't anymore. And it's just like, do you not think that movie flatlined with the sort of like rape orgy scene in Zion? That's when you know that film is like, Whoa, yeah, well there's like a lot of minutes in, Oh, yeah. it's not looking good. Well, there's loads <laughs> of stuff in, in that movie, which is bad, but I think that like the freeway chase scene is like incredible. But then after that, you don't have, you know, yeah, so yeah. you can overlook all of the bad stuff because there's a couple of great, moments and then after the freeway chase it kind of there's nothing else good and there's just like the sort of nonsense filling it up and by the same token amy moran suggested prometheus uh which does have a guess pretty ropey ending but it's just like makes no fucking sense throughout the film and is, <laughs> is bad on, on a lot of levels and then there's a few other suggestions that i would say danny and i probably don't agree with mad max free road by jay mccormick is bold choice Bold and wrong. Quite an acclaimed, <laughs> quite an acclaimed film throughout. And uh, Jazz Deep suggested The Hateful Eight due to what he viewed as an overly predictable plot twist. Don't know about that one. It goes. It's quite long. It's quite a sort of long and rambling film. I can understand how you lose patience with it by the end. A bit like Django Unchained, where it feels like a 10-hour script that, Mike, um, that Quentin Tarantino had to cut down. But um, we love it. But anyway, I wanted to suggest... My own choice. You've got a controversial choice. Yeah. Casey, you were saying before we started recording that you like it when we argue. So I'm going to attack one of Danny's sacred cows. Mm-hmm. Um, Lay it on me. Well, I don't. I think that there's an issue with the ending of Ellie Confidential, which uh, I know is like one of your favorite movies. <laughs> the perfect film, Ellie Confidential? It's, I think it's an incredible movie. I agree with you in that there's a problem that it ends. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so perfect. I think that like uh, the very end of that movie, has there's a shootout which does not match the tone of the rest of the film, which is this uh, is very cool and subtle and complex and interesting movie that has a quite a cartoonish and uh, somewhat rote shootout sequence at the end, which feels a bit, yeah. it's a bit tacked on. It's a bit like, uh, we got to have a bunch of shooting at the end to make this exciting. So a bunch of random guys get shot and they're not even like really villains. They're just like, you know, they're just cops. Yes, they are. They've been established as being the Ben cops in the front in the whole no, movie. Who are they? They're no one. They're just shadows. Their names. Just I can't bring their names. To, but oh, they're, not they're, all of them. Yeah, there's like there's like two of them, and there's like no. At the end, there's like fifteen of them at least. Oh, that's, that's not a complaint. What, yeah, you don't just... know the names of everyone who gets shot. You know, the 
that's ridiculous. It's established as the night owl motel thing. I forget what it's called. It's like Dudley Smith's. It's where they go to like torture and beat people out of information. It's like where his little cavalcade of like cops go, which Russell Crowe's inducted into and then realise it's bent. It's been established. That's just like fundamentally disagreeing with like films. I feel. I feel like you're gonna. You're, no, you're the not. kind of it's person. Just bit, it's just a bit like it's like a it's like a scene from a cowboy movie. It's a bit like I think that's bullshit. It's a bit lame. Well, you're just wrong. Okay. And your argument is stupid. <laughs> and get out. Oh, it makes so much sense on the story level. It makes me doubt everything you've ever said to me. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have opened that particular can of worms. Why? Why poke the sleeping bear of my favourite film? Yes. Anyway. Anyway, so that's my <laughs> that's my choice. <laughs> well, well, there you go. Um, it's a bit silly. What do you mean it's, it's a bit like, silly? It's like it's like high noon. It's like okay, right, right. it's like the ending of High Noon or something. How is it silly as opposed to the rest of the film? Superhero films announced Casting rumours leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's been to print So the greatest film ever made um, after LA Confidential might be coming out soon Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> news like I, I like I like LA Confidential by the way You've You're dead to me uh, the news that Paul Thomas Anderson is set to team up with Dan Day-Lewis again after their, they made one of the best films of recent years in Bear With Blood. They're going to re-team again for a film set in 1950s New York about the world of fashion. Uh, there's rumours that it might be about this New York fashion designer called Charles James, who was a bit of a sort of hellraiser, but that's just speculation by this point. But it would suit Dan Day-Lewis's age, and uh, Charles James is also British. But this is just, this is just internet rumor mongering at the moment but pta is the greatest director in the world after curtis hansen director of Eddie <laughs> and uh yeah. Dan lewis is a fantastic actor after Old, uh, russell, russell crowe Crow. guy pearson kevin spacey and the greatest actors of the generation um, <laughs> <laughs> so this can only be good oh every movie makes is an event but team up Dan lewis who hasn't made a film since lincoln and every time he makes a film he delivers like a performance for the ages well they're both event uh, people i guess yeah when they when their moves arrive people really see them and take notice as to what they do they're both people who've been called the greatest of their skill set yeah you know more people from paul thomas anderson is the greatest working director yeah more and um Dan Day lewis is the is that actors you know him and actors, actor, actors, actors actor well he certainly does very he's very actingy i i guess like um both paul thomas anderson and Dan Day lewis are artists whose work is very like they show they're working a lot, you know. Yeah, it's like the the line about um, Oscars being given out for like most rather than best, like most <laughs> acting, like most editing, whatever. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like Paul Thomas Anderson's movies like really directed, and Daniel Day Lewis's performances are like he's just acting, it's coming out of his ears, you know, dribbling out of his nose, um, <laughs> it's drooling from the corners of his mouth. And for a movie like There Will Be Blood, which is very heightened and um, very dramatic and very intense, it all comes together in a very sort of spectacular and epic way. And you hope that in there, when they collaborate again, it's going to be a similar story. Um, And what better place to put those two intense guys than the fashion world (laughs) in the 50s? I assume it's going to be like There Will Be Blood meets The Devil Wears Prada. 
That'd be great. Which sounds fucking fantastic. That's a good point in that has there been a good film about the fashion world? And it feels like a place ripe for... I mean, it's ripe for comedy, as Zoolander proved. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of big egos flying about. Everyone's always looks amazing. But how camp it's, will it be? You know, yeah. it's like a lot that's... of cinematic potential in there. Yeah, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of imagining something that resembles Mad Men, but it's like fashion instead of advertising. Yeah. That sounds... That's what I'm hoping for. And if that's what it is, then that would be brilliant. I'm excited. No uh, one talked to me until 2017. I want you to read the detail about Charles James that you read me earlier from this article because it's pretty <laughs> funny. I thought it would make a good scene if it's true in the movie. Well, if it is Charles James. If it is Charles if James. If it is Charles James, which you don't know for sure. So um, Charles James had a pretty crazy lifestyle. He once tried to kill himself over a guy he had romantic designs on. Um, he romanced men in plain sight. His sexuality was complicated. To one fling was stage designer Kerf Codon, James Stoll Codon's wife. <laughs> and he also uh, had money problems. He's a prolific spender. And he once emptied a jar of cockroaches on the front desk of the Del Monaco Hotel in an attempt to evade his debts there. So That's brilliant. If that's not cinema waiting to happen, I don't that know sounds, what is. That sounds like a Nick Cave lyric to me. One time he <laughs> emptied a jar of cockroaches on the corner of the Del Monaco Hotel. <laughs> Nick, is that, is that you? <laughs> Come on, that was an incredible, incredible Nick Cave impression I did there. Brilliant. I love it. So looking anyway. forward to that one. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Very much. Psyched. There's another Star Wars film coming out. It's pretty exciting. Star Wars! The Force Awakens was successful enough to justify at least one more film. The next one is Rogue One, a Star Wars story. It's one of their kind of um, spin-off movies set in the Star Wars universe we've talked a bit about before. And they finished shooting it, or they thought they had. And uh, they did a screening for the Disney execs, and they were not happy with the result. Um, And uh, they have ordered pretty substantial reshoots. They're going to do pretty big reshoots on the movie. And the playlist is reporting that um, there are now two more people, other than Gareth Edwards, the initial director, who've been brought on to um, supervise the reshoots and look at them. One of them is Tony Gilroy, he's the director of Michael Clayton and The Bourne Legacy. Um, and he's doing rewrites on the movie and he's supervising the reshoots. And they've also got a man called Simon Crane, who is apparently a veteran stunt coordinator and second unit director, um, who's also come in to get involved. I imagine Gareth Edwards is a little... A bit annoyed who these guys... Probably be be a bit irritated by that. The sort of word on it is that he delivered something that was a kind of intense war film, and they want to turn it something that is closer to the tone of the rest of the Star Wars movies, and that uh, does it better, because this is a prequel to A New Hope, and they want to make it a better lead-in, because apparently it concludes about 10 minutes before the start of A New Hope. Yeah, it's Um, all about stealing the plans, right? So it's about stealing the plans for the Death Star. Right. I can understand the logic of, like, if you had, you know, a thin red line and you were leading right up to the start of Star Wars, that wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. So I can understand that, but um, 
whether it turns into a better movie or not, there's something just a bit anxiety-inducing about the amount of extra effort and money that has to be spent. And like, what I found quite funny about the hiring of Tony Gilroy is that like, it's like we need to find someone who can match that New Hope tone. Is like the director of Michael Clayton. That's <laughs> like, true. That's a really good point. It's really it's an odd choice, isn't it? You think they get someone like Brad Bird? It's like sort of dark, uh, you know, men in suits talking dramas. Yeah. Even like Born Legacy, which is a, t- a born the Born Legacy, which is how it's pronounced <laughs> in Spain. Uh, it, which is a terrible film, has like, you know, tr- it's got a, must translate into words. Uh, that is quite a dark tonal movie. It's very sort of serious. It's trying to match the Bourne films, but it's ridiculous. So that wasn't, wasn't fun? Wasn't fun. Don't think he really makes fun films. He just sort of makes intense films. You're right. That does seem like quite a strange one. Um, I, yeah. Well, we don't know the full story. This is all, you know, people just guessing around these facts. But it's a bit like... Gav Edwards always talked about it as a war movie. So if you're a Gav Edwards fan, it kind of reads a bit like he delivered the film he set out to make and not like, oh, fuck, okay, we made a massive... We should have stopped you at the first uh, stopped meeting. Stopped the word war. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I feel kind of bad for him because he was a, uh, he's a really talented guy and Monsters was great. And then Godzilla felt... That felt a bit like a sort of... He'd be given this massive studio movie and... Uh, you felt that the sort of producers forces in that film a little bit. It's like a really well-directed film, but the story is kind of terrible and they had like loads of reshoots on that as well. Who did they? So, uh, yeah, like kind of restructured the script as they were going. So I don't think he's had like a very good studio experience thus far. And Mm. it looks like he's having possibly the worst one you can have. Well, uh, the reports are that as much as 40% of the movie is going to be reshot, (laughs) which is like a lot of the film. <laughs> that's quite like, a lot. That's a lot. I hope there's like the first sixty percent of it is just the same as his vision, and it becomes a lot more lighthearted for the final forty seconds. What like um, Jar Jar turns up? Or yeah, like, yeah. It's a shame. I kind of feel this is just the inevitable thing that was going to happen once Disney owned it, right? They want maximum appeal. Yeah, it'll go the way sort of Marvel films are, you know, like... Where it all gets a bit, like... It all gets a bit... Smoothed out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it is a shame because you feel like the Star Wars universe can support, you know, more than one kind of movie. And I like the idea of something that just feels a bit different. But I don't know. I mean, I already think that the whole idea is a little odd because they have to market it as a Star Wars film, but there's never been a Star Wars film that hasn't been part of one story before. I think people are going to be confused because they'll think that it's a sequel to The Force Awakens. You know, they see that it's in a Star Wars movie, it's coming out the next year... And uh, but it's actually just totally different. It's a prequel to like three films before The Force Awakens. It's a prequel to a film that came out in 1977. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the whole idea of it is kind of weird. Um, so I guess it's maybe the fact they're getting a bit antsy about the risk of just doing this in the first place because it's an odd, an odd move. And this also might be part of a trend of studios getting anxious about dark tinged blockbusters after Batman v Superman didn't make as much money as was hoped and was hated by all. And they did reshoots on Suicide Squad, which were reportedly to lighten the tone. So it could be that all of the big wigs are scrambling now, trying to put rainbows, um, puppies, and butterflies into all of their big <laughs> franchise films in order to make them more palatable. Yeah, but yeah, I know it's funny because we've seen the we've seen the teaser trailer for Rogue One, which was quite good. It had that cool noise in it. The noise is like, yeah. I mean, I had a couple of issues with that like noise for that trailer. But did you? I don't know if did we've got enough time to go into them. Really, take me through them, Danny. Didn't like how Donnie Yen seemed to be playing some sort of samurai. Oh, yeah. I remember you mentioning this. Because yeah. because Jedi are already samurai. Yeah. So you can't have real samurai. Kind of real samurais. Yeah. I don't. I think that's I think that's an odd. I find that complaint weird. Why is that? Well, 
It's uh, no. It'd be like you're watching Game of Thrones and then like an actual like Henry Tudor turns up in Game of Thrones. It's nothing like that. No, it's exactly like that. <laughs> it's exactly like that. Because Star Wars is like an amalgamation of the best bits of fantasy culture and then Star Warsified, so it's universal. So they already have samurais, but they're Jedi. It's like the Star Wars version. It'd be like having a car in Star Wars. They have spaceships. Or like if they had like guns, yeah, if they but, had like a Smith and Western gun. It'd be you're ridiculous. Like, but but you're, you're basing that on the premise that he is literally an actual historical samurai, like the same. Well, okay, I'm basing you know, this over like kind of one second. That he's like, he's going to be in the movie and he's going to be like, this is nothing like feudal Japan where I live. <laughs> no. You know, but it's, it's like... <laughs> uh, they, there's room for Asian people who swing swords, whatever. You can have more than one samurai influenced thing in your fantasy film. No, you it can't. Could be you can't have the source and the version of it in the same thing. But it can't just have two separate things that are influenced by the same thing. Why is one the source? No, I think, no. I think it might be absolutely fine. I we'll think. See. What What else did you? You're, what you're, what issues did you take? You're a hater. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Just the sort of the we talked about it before the sort of slow Star Wars music. Oh, it's getting a bit boring. The, the... And uh, I felt for the dialogue was quite shit. The sort of Forrest I was like, rebel. I rebel. Forrest was like, how far will you go? I'm not sure if Forrest Whitaker's a good actor. How far? And he's just sort of, he's just sort of, we- he's just like wheezy and a bit will squinty, you? you know? Become. What? Well, it's like, I don't know. Who are you? So, um, film chat solidarity and sympathy to Gareth Edwards. I hope he replies to our uh, commiserations card that we sent him. The reshoots card. You can get them in Clinton's now. Uh, that's how many they do on movies these days. And um, yeah, good luck. Look forward to seeing how it turns out. Good luck, Gareth. Look forward to seeing your forced smile at the premiere at a movie you did not feel you directed. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're going to hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. So the nice guys. This is the latest film from Shane Black, which he wrote and directed. He previously wrote and directed Iron Man Three and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and came to prominence in the late eighties uh, with the Lethal Weapon films. He also and his trademark is sort of mismatched uh, body action thrillers with very sharp dialogue and just generally a bit sharper than most action films. And the nice guys is very much in his oeuvre, and it stars. Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling is a private detective um, with a young daughter and he's a pretty terrible private detective and Russell Crowe is a sort of muscle for hire and they both get embroiled in this missing persons case in 70s Los Angeles and are forced to team up to try and crack the case. And this is a clip of them talking to Kim Basinger, brain actress, uh, won an Oscar for Ellie Confidential, um, brilliant performance as um, <laughs> Veronica Lake lookalike. Wow. And then uh, discussing the plot. First of all, I want to say thank you. <clears throat> We've been watching interviews, and it sounds like you might have saved my daughter's life. That was mostly Holly, his daughter. It's genetics. I need your help. I want to know if I can trust you. I'm kind of getting the idea that, you know, you might not have much choice. Well, my situation is very delicate. I 
That's where I know you from, right? The TV. You're prosecuting that, that car company thing. The lawsuit for the catalytic converter, yes. That's half my day. The other half I spend on pornography. What kind? Like which films? What's your favorite? No, no. <laughs> anti, anti-porn. Right. Like a crusader. Should I be writing this down? Yeah, write it down. The Vegas mob is trying to spread its porn operation to Hollywood Boulevard. And I'm doing everything I can to stop it. Thank you. Porn is bad. Brilliant. Great clip. Well chosen. I very much enjoy this film, Sam. Did you very much enjoy this film? Yeah, I thought it was good fun. Uh, This movie, if you're familiar with Shane Black's work, it's, it's so him and... Uh, this might be a bit of an odd comparison, but it kind of reminded me a bit of Crimson Peak in that it's a director just indulging in all the things he loves. And it's a bit of a sort of Grace Hits package of things he likes in his movies. And just also, he just loves the 70s as well. So you got two mismatched partners, noir plot, a bereaved protagonist, contrast between the seediness of Hollywood and its glamour, uh, and lots of clever jokes. And it's also Christmas at the end. Yeah. And that's and, like all uh, the Shane Black's trademarks. Um, and a sort of wisecracking adult bonding with a smart child. Yeah. From and uh, the result is a bit messy at times, but I was thoroughly entertained throughout. And there's a succession of very clever jokes, um, half of which are scripted and half of which are just down to the performances. And uh, particularly Gosling, who really is a, probably one of the least vain performances of recent years, really throws himself into it. Yeah. And he's a, he's a very uh, good comic actor, it turns out. Yeah, he's brilliant. And I, I didn't think all of the jokes completely landed, but the ones that didn't weren't that hilarious were sold by the actors who did it really well. Yeah, exactly. Is that is yeah. Yes, I agree. Thank you. Um, it's supported. Got that sort of thing of where it's a sort of deliberately convoluted plot, which I think is homaging the film noir movies he loves. But there's a point where it's like, is this movie deliberately convoluted, or is it just not that well put together? And for the most part. It sort of got away with it for me, but I think there's it's definitely a bit of a it's a bit more baggier than Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I, I, I a actually, bit more looser. Yeah, I found it a bit like straightforward compared with the sort of pleasing um, nightmarish tangle of something like The Big Lebowski, which is just a total like knot of um, enigma <laughs> of like plot strands that make no sense, or some like Inherent Vice as well, which is al- almost doing a similar thing and like investigating a similar world of guys stumbling around being like what the hell's going on while crazy things happen to them uh whereas in this movie inherent vice there's about a million different players and they're all who are involved in this movie like there's only a handful and you can kind of see what how it adds up and then by the end you can tell there's not really that much to it because yeah you've grasped it and it's a bit like uh what's the word just there's just not that much going on you know sure I agree with you and it's like it's straightforward, but I mean it's more that the movie is a bit baggier than it needs to be. Yeah. And some scenes just run long. There's like a sort of party sequence which is sort of twice as long as it needs to be because just I think... Just a lot of fun stuff to yeah, do. Exactly, because yeah. Shane Black just loves the 70s and he's like, I've built this massive set. We've got to have, you know, 12 more jokes and maybe they don't all land, but I've filmed it now and I'm going to put it in the movie. Yeah. it's it's I, I think that you're right that it's pretty like... It's him definitely indulging himself. It's like... I can imagine him on set being like, I love this. Everything <laughs> is so fun. Yeah. But it, I think the the main reason why it works and what this sort of has been sold on is uh, Crow and Gosling just are a great double act and they got great chemistry. Russell Crowe, um, 
probably his second best performance after Ali Confidential, his masterpiece season, uh, is really good in it. He's I find him like a bit. He's such a sort of dick in interviews that it's almost like a bit of baggage going to films. Mm. But then he did give. He's so committed in his performances that he kind of slips away, and he's always seems to like be doing very committed performances in everything he does. Yeah. He's and very charming in this movie. He's very charming in this one. And it's like, and also, it's not, he gives lots of room. He's not like, uh, you know, he takes the back seat for a lot of it and lets Gosling sort of run away with the movie. Yeah, I think that they, um, uh, the, the relationship is good because you don't feel like they're competing for your attention. They're just, um, you know, they just work as, um, you know, rivals and then buddies. Cool buddies. Cool buddies. Which, and also, yeah, it's the core of the film. So if that didn't work, the whole thing would fall to pieces. And I also think uh, Angori Rice, who is um, Ryan Gosling's daughter, does a good job of fleshing out what is a slightly cliched character. And she's basically sort of the conscience of the two male leads, you know, literalized in a character. Um, but she does enough with it and, and the movie gives her enough stuff to do uh, that it basically kind of works. And it's a good example of the sort of capable youngster character where she's sort of like a, smaller than a 10 year old would be but not super smart. Like she makes mistakes and, you know, you can't get out of every situation just by her plucky supernatural intelligence. Yeah, definitely. I thought, I thought she was quite well played actually by the movie because I think the, um, the child, both the sort of over precocious child and the child as a sort of symbol of innocence and hope and goodness are both like massive cliches that we've seen a million times. And the movie does it really well with like her performance. And um, I think it's quite well written, you know, to make her just about believable as a kid. Yeah. And what I would say with like regards, I think why it's messy is because uh, Shane Black is somebody who's very genre literate and there's a lot of really good jokes which are just based around subverting your expectations of what would happen in a similar film. Yeah, it's a bit but, of like a Joss Whedon. Uh, absolutely. But it also indulges several cliches and subverts the others. So like it's, it's not quite tonally consistent throughout because it's like, it has a sort of uh, ending which you think it would mock in another part of the film, but at the end it's like, well, we've got to end now, so now I have to indulge these cliches. Yeah, completely. I found it kind of winning. It's quite like, I found it a very earnest film, and um, even though there's parts of it that are kind of winking at you where it's like, you thought this would happen in this kind of film, but something else happened. <laughs> but um, I, th I feel like when you realise that the title of the movie is not ironic, it's a bit like uh, True Romance, yeah. a movie about like gangsters and uh, drugs and guns and people shooting each other and stuff where the heart of the movie really is the romance and in this movie they really are nice guys yeah like they're, they're both people who are fundamentally good people who are trying to do good yeah and uh that sort of journey is the is the journey of the movie uh which is a cliche but it but in a way the you know cliches can be the building blocks of movies that are just functional and that work and as long as you do them well then it's like fine yeah. um and i think this is an example of a movie that sells its cliches with russell crowe and ryan gosling between them encompassing every you know aspect of shattered broken confused masculinity <laughs> that you've seen in like 100 films yeah you know the sort of guy who's like violent but like hates it and the guy who's the sort of uh, deadbeat dad character we've seen like yeah, a yeah. million times um but it's just so uh it feels so sincere and uh it's done with a lot of love um and there's a moment the moment at the end um the kind of uh fist pumping uh cheesy moment that would have had a terrible soundtrack if this movie had been made in the 80s but i was just like fine you know it was good i enjoyed it <laughs> sure it, was, it worked for me yeah sure, it worked yeah, for yeah. me it was just i had a soul with enough panache that um 
I went with it. And I, I found it to be a somewhat disposable movie. Part, part of the issue, I think, is that the character arcs are done in a very uh, effective way, it, albeit like quite a sort of um, screenwriter. You know, it's like I've read the book on screenwriting and then this is what you have to do, you know. But it, I think it all works. But the plot, I think, is a little uh, empty. Um, and it switches MacGuffins for the third act, which is a bit unsatisfying because uh, they're, they're really celebrating the end. They're like, we did it, we did it. And it's like, did you do it? Because <laughs> I feel like you had a significant setback that you completely <laughs> fucking failed earlier in the film and it wasn't really acknowledged. I don't know. So there's some plotting stuff that didn't, didn't completely work, but it was, yeah, I found it to be charming, good fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah. pretty much every Gosling movie is automatic nine out of ten stars <laughs> on film chat. So yeah. what's this, like a nine point... Nine point seven, you know. Nine point seven. Which means it's a seven out of ten. No, uh, no. That means a point seven out of ten. <laughs> it means a point seven out of one. <laughs> oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. That's good. Good maths you did. Yeah. yeah. So it's seven out of ten. No, it's a nine point seven out of ten. <laughs> the so seven out of Gosling, ten, if instead of Gosling, you... it had been like uh, James Andrews. Okay. No, that would have been a ten out of ten. <laughs> That'd been great. James Andrews suddenly in a film. Yeah, that would have been that would have been the best. He's gonna be so thrilled with the shout out. Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton. She was up with her dog and we got talking. I asked her what she does when she isn't acting. She said she likes podcasts for relaxing. Imelda, when you're in the mood, what do you listen to? And finally, what are you doing next Wednesday? Answer, you're coming to our film quiz, the third mostly ungoogable film quiz at the social just off Little Portland Street, seven o'clock. Be there or be like a total loser, which no one wants to hang out with. Yeah. Anyone who wants to hang out with anyone is going to be there. Yeah, I hear Beyonce is going to be there. I think Beyonce is going to... She's going to come to do a special sneeze at the end. Yeah. I just learned this sneeze thing. Katie mentioned it earlier today. She now, sneezed on the beat. And now I'm all up on uh, my, my my references. My Bay Bay Ray 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 references. No, that's <laughs> Rihanna. <laughs> I think Ray Ray is Rihanna. Yeah, but I was trying to rhyme Queen, Queen with, Bay is the word Beyonce. references. I think Ray Ray. Riri? Is it or Riri Rihanna? Riri's Rihanna. Taysway is Taylor Swift. Never mind. I wasn't Queen making Bay a good Beyonce. joke. Taysway. Taysway, yeah. Okay. Is Taysway going to be there? Yeah, Taysway's going to be there. Yeah. And if you can't make it, tell your friends to go instead of you. Yeah. Um, because it would be great to see as many of you there as possible. And as a reminder, you don't need to be a super semi-literate genius like Danny and I. Yeah. You know, uh, you, if our priorities are to make it fun sending first and a quiz second which means the quality of the questions will be poor, but it'll be fun to listen to them. <laughs> so yeah. come on to that. It'll be like, what's two plus two? But there'll be like some random farting in the middle of but it. But it'll be like in word art, <laughs> but it looks incredible. <laughs> be like that rainbow word art with the shadow. Oh, man. It's going to look sick. Oh, that's, yeah, it's going to be that sick if you can conceive of such a thing in film quiz form. So see there, I'm getting croaky. I'm getting all croaky and old. Oh, better anyway, end the podcast. Uh, me and Sam have to go talk about LA Confidential a bit more. Um, yeah, I think he's going to tie me to a chair and <laughs> beat me to death. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In the style of the movie. He's going he's gonna to say something about being, something being strictly hush hush and then strangle me. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> 
Jeez. Okay. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.